Welcome to part two of our episode with Robin McAlpine of Commonweal. We'll probably just crash straight into it again. I don't need to belabor the point. It's all the same people, all the same stuff. And all the links will be in the show notes, or at least as many as we could remember to capture. All right. Enjoy. We did. Bye for now. We'll see you again on the next episode. Oh, and thanks for listening. The big lies that you were told, the big lie that was you were told was you can make lifestyle changes to solve this. Can you help? Can't be done. Load yeah. of garbage. We, we did look at it. All the lifestyle changes in the world won't get us near net zero, right? Just just you for the record there, for, li- for for listeners, uh, my six-year-old daughter uh, walked into the room to uh, to hand me a cookie. Um, <laughs> yes, you see that? This is what's <laughs> wrong. The children are feeding the adults and the adults yeah. are not... Reciprocating. This is my. This is. Go on, Dan. Jump in there. You're bursting. But this is. See what you're describing there, though, is like the failure in soft power. Like soft power. The story. Piece of piss to tell people. Nice story. I can make this cheaper for you. And you know what they're going to say in your face? It'd be nice, but where's the money going to come from? I'm not paying for it. Them kids with their avocados and the Netflix, they can save up to buy ours themselves. That's the reality of it. We, We sort. We sorted the avocados. Right, so I'm not joking. To give you an idea how far down this rabbit hole we went, we Craig, who is our head of policy, he was a he was before he came to do public policy, he was a laser scientist. So we actually did the calculation: if you're going to start growing avocados in Scotland in giant hangars using artificial light, what's that going to cost us? And using only existing technologies. So this is using lead lights as is in the grow and the vertical farming that we currently have. You can grow about 25%, about a quarter of Scotland's calories for about £1.75 per person per day. So if the price of an avocado a day, we could be avocado self-sufficient in Scotland forever. And but I mean, will, will the people believe you? You can tell them. So that. Now, but will they believe is, you? Like this is this is where, this we get is where into my so, area. This is where soft power. Like as a, paradigmatic as a mindset set shifts. You've got like, to get in there. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the populace is, to use the internet parlance, cooked. And particularly in England, maybe not so much in Scotland, where there's a bit more, a greater sense of rebellion. But we are too willing to accept what we are told, and we are told by the hard power, whatever they care to tell us on the day, whatever suits their interest. So we have to tell people what Scott said, which is you have more power than you've been told. You have to counter it with us. Yeah, yeah, but like loads of people said loads of things like that. Do you not re- do you not remember like in the UK, in England, 2015 to 2019? Like people got told that and they kicked against it as hard as they could. As hard as they could. And they kicked that man into the dirt as hard as they could. Whether you like him or not, like there was a big rise up against that message, exactly, specifically, that message that you just offered. Uh, yeah, who no, though? No. Who was rising up? Because it necessarily wasn't the people on the street. It was the people who the were people being told to stay in the media, controlled by yeah, who, like illustrating my soft power issue. Like it's a cultural issue that has to it has to be got at and it has to be changed. Like the reason Rick, why can we, I we, can I give you the can I give you the Scottish take in this for those that weren't on early. But, before this started, we had an extended pre-recording chat about the Scottish weather, right? So this <laughs> is me with my stern Presbyterian face on saying, you can complain about the rain all you want, it's still going to fall. The media will be the media, all that shit will still be there. If we don't get cleverer and smarter about how we deal with this, we'll get screwed over again. The best the, the best of what Corbyn did was the grassroots organising, the peer-to-peer, the creating alternative routes for message spreading to other. That's what scared them more than anything. 100%. Now, you were asking how to do this. This is where they're going to come in and say, you folk are housing experts, and I sure as hell am it, or what I know I've learned in the last three or four years, you know, since we started doing this project. Well, I'm a strategist. This is what I do. If, if you don't know this, um, my profession and now routinely lobs people in the MRI scanners, tells them shit and see what the brain does so that we know exactly how all of this stuff works. So when I say there's very good knowledge about how you change people's attitudes and views and hopes and all these kinds, there is massive amounts. So let me give you some simple things. Don't tell them nothing. Stop telling folk things. Start showing them things. Let me give you an example of that. Um, my... Uh, sister-in-law was up the other day. She says, 
never shown an awful lot of interest in um, our policy work, but the, my, my brother's got quite a big old traditional Scottish house that's drafty as buggery, and and his his wife's quite um, temperature sensitive. And then she went into a new close to passive house, and she was like, "Oh my god, how do we get one of those?" Aye, I know that's what it's like. You, you thought drafts were inevitable, didn't you? You thought that sitting in a wind tunnel was part of this part of the Scottish psyche. It doesn't have to be. You want to tell people, let's go and let's go and um, invest in uh, indoor grow. Just pick one up and open, do an open doors day. You can see it. You can actually get little folk poo tomatoes off a vine and discover what a ripe tomato tastes like that hasn't been sitting in a box for. We can do all of this. Now, this is where I keep coming back to it. You need hard power. You can use, you get big amounts of soft power, great, but you need some hard power because you need to be able to create things. This is the start of the problem of this loop. And I keep coming back round and round again. And if this sounds old school, so be it. I keep coming back round and round to this. Unfortunately, the only way that ordinary people can take hard powers in Britain is through democracy, unless you, unless you happen to be very wealthy somehow. We are going to have to recognise that until we are able to produce a policy framework in the country which pursues these sorts of paths, we will be tinkering around about the edges. So it is about developing and keeping together a strong story. We, we've, we've got very limited resources at Commonwealth, but we are in the middle of a 10-week, 11-week actually campaign, every chapter in our book. We, we discovered, by the way, that you can organise Saving the World under 10 headings. Um, and we're doing a kind of, is it, what is it, those so I know this will be all of you. Sorry, I'm totally anti-social media. The worst thing that was ever invented by humanity. I don't do any of it. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. I never have been. Um, but what is it? Two minutes twenty is the the attention span of a Twitter video. Is that right? So we we are doing um, once a week little animated films to tell anybody quickly. How do you get to net zero? How do you get how do you get your house to zero? How do you get your transport to zero? Blah blah blah. We can do all of these sorts of things. One of the things that slightly drives me up the wall um, just now, and this is, it's just inevitable, but there you go. There is an awful lot of territorial pissing in the field of, um, in the field of climate mitigation at the moment. So you've mm. got the big, I'm going to call them the big corporate NGO environmental charities, and they've all got business plans which involve them getting government to set targets. And then you've got, um, I get on well with them and I think they've done a phenomenal job but then you talk to um, a Extinction Rebellion and it's quite hard to persuade them to stop smashing things and start backing it <laughs> positive you know so it's kind of they're very angry they're right to be but getting them out the foggy anger to say I know but do you don't think it would be quite helpful if you said to folk there's a solution but mm. not until we've got there not until we've raise their awareness. I think they're quite aware. I really do. But and so and you've got that. And then you've got the endless number of people who say it's not hydrogen, it's not batteries, it's hydrogen. This is I I, I worked for an environmental NGO but in the 90s, late 90s. And it was that that was when I discovered the utter madness of environmental algebra, where when I get caught up in a, a long story about which was worse the bleach used in recycling paper or the land used in the production of um, virgin paper and what what what, what trees did, ah, but if you then change the trees it changes the algebra if they're good trees rather than bad trees suddenly the bleach is worse ah, but if you use environmental bleach suddenly the trees are worse and it's like, oh, we can, you can do this for ages it's the problem with the left the, the right wants the world to become yeah one thing and we want it to become a thousand things so my first take in this is I've been saying this for a while I don't care if it's our plan quickly knock up another plan I'll probably back your plan your plan will probably look exactly the same as my plan give or take some details here or there but for the love of God could we all get settled in a plan and this is what is bothering me is remember this more than anything else you cannot sell anyone anything that they cannot close their eyes and eyes and imagine they have. 
they have to be able to imagine it or they will not buy it. If you say, um, if you say buy my widget, they'll say, no, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. We need to be selling them something. Now, I think one of the best things in Britain just now is the Committee on Climate Change, which I think has done wonderful work, given the constraints it's under, given the country it's in, given the administration it's working under, it's done really well. But it is also working on the basis of how much can we get away with rather than what would you do? So they, they're trying to work out how far can we push this envelope. We need somebody to start from the position of, yeah, but what we what we not offering people by just tweaking at these stages. And this is what we tried to do. And this is what we tried to do in our report, say, have the law, have better clothes, have better food, have a better house, live in a better country, nicer weather. You can have it all. And it's only going to cost you negative 1.5 billion. I'm going to give you money. Free money, you can do what you want with it. It's all there if we do it right and we do it together and we don't have to suffer. And I keep using over and over and over and over again this example of the sewers. Can you imagine the, the hell that we would have if we were trying to build a sewer system in Britain in the 22nd, in 2022? You would have Rhys Mogg setting up the sewage research group, which would demonstrate that humans don't actually defecate. It's it's Europeans. It's, it's Europeans that do it. They're the ones that keep putting shite in here. If only we got out of Europe, we wouldn't need sewers. Um, you'd have Duncan, a, Duncan. Did you have a point in, about that? <laughs> you, you've been wanting to jump in and then Duncan, Duncan, Duncan's no, forever I mean, going on about European shiting. <laughs> he never stops. No, I mean. I, I, you know everything I agree with 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 Robin and some, and and I, but I think what, what he is talking about is that that argument, and he, I completely agree that, that it's the articulation of that argument on the stage that people will listen to, and how how do we get there? Because you know the, the argument that that we make that Robin makes is compelling, but how so the existing narrative within the media just now is is something that they that, that, that is that is wrong. How how do we do that? And you're right, unless you get two million pounds and unless you get access to media. We I don't we bounced text Robin about the Stephanie Flanders um a broadcast pre so you know, I have to be really critical. The, the coverage, you know, as a nationalist, uh, the, the coverage and I mean that without a party, just in terms of the broad concept of nationalism. Uh, what what I felt was incredibly disingenuous was the coverage of Scottish independence in 2014, where a narrative was used, which was the bogeyman of what, what would happen to you. Now, if you look at there's a Stephanie Flanders uh, YouTube video, I encourage you to look at it because it was briefing executives and reporters, and Stephanie Flanders was an economist. She's now, I think, somewhere in somewhere in, in Switzerland. Uh, representing one of the big banks, but what she said was an objective argument about well, there's good things about independence, there's bad things, there's 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 positives about it, and there's negatives, and and also if we were to become independent as a nation, the reality is that the, the British state or the, the you know the 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 UK would have to accept that and accommodate that because it would be in their worst, it would be in their interest to do that. I suppose the point I'm trying to trying to make here just now is probably badly is how do we make that argument in a way that people can. How do we make that argument in a way that we can become the established narrative that people can listen to and agree with? I, you know, it's just a question. There's, I mean, there's no great mystery about this. So this, this like I say, this is my, this is my universe. This is what I kind of did for a long, long time, and. I think the best way to understand it is that humans operate almost wholly in the basis of stories. They just gear your head around the fact that, first of all, humans operate in stories. And so one of the things that I keep pointing out is one of my favourite mad stories is the story I keep telling myself about my triumph over milk, right? And I have this, I have this story, I tell myself all the time, bollocks, that's me out of milk. And I'm four miles from the shop because I'm out in rural Scotland. So then we, we launch a hero's journey and, and the hero heads off to the shop and he runs into David McMinn who wants to talk to him for 45 minutes about Scottish politics and the shop. And, and, and each element of this is, is positively Homerian. And, and I get my milk and I get home and I get it in the fridge and it's like, come on. 
as if that's the end of the story. And it's not the reality that I'll have that finished in two days and the whole thing will kick off again. But still, we organise our understanding of the planet in stories. I always say it's all about when you start the story and when you stop the story. If you cut off um, when Harry met Sally five minutes early, it's a tragedy. And if you run that on another 10 minutes, it's a social realist drama. It's all about when you start and stop the story, as anybody who's ever followed anything to do with all things Israel and, and Palestine will know. It just depends when you start the story. So this is the first thing to say. Is it's all about stories. It's about the competition of stories. You've got to get your story right. If your story is better than their story, you're, you've got a good chance of, of, of victory. And the second thing is you need story carriers. Now, this is where progressive forces get really lost. It's this idea that we can't win because they own the story carrying, the media. And the answer is, it's not really true. So let me give you the thing which is, I think is the biggest change I've seen in my career in terms of where I'm coming from. If you were to look, even back to the 1980s, 1990s, and you do, you can go look at this, and you do the question of, where do people believe they get their, for, how do people believe they form their opinions? So it's important that I'm saying believe. How do people think they are coming to the views that they come to? Now, if you ask that question in the 80s, you definitely got a response which basically went authority cues. So what I mean by authority cue is you take a cue from something in authority that you identify with, which primarily used to mean I'm either a Tory voter, in which case if a new issue comes up that I don't have an idea about, I tend to take my cue from what the Tories are saying. Whereas if you were a Labour guy, a Labour gal, um, and you, something you came up that you never heard of, you tended to take your cue from them. And if you didn't know, you would maybe take a cue from what you saw on the BBC. But one way or the other, when you were arriving at information that you were not currently familiar with, you looked upwards to give you a judgment on what you should believe. That's collapsed in a way that is quite remarkable to watch. If you look now and you ask the same question, what, here's a totally new piece of information. How are you going to come up, go about organizing your thoughts, your opinions in this? And what people see is in conversation with people like me, peer to peer. So it's what my pals think, it's what my colleagues think, it's what folks say in the pub. Now, the reason that I kept seeing believe is, well, where do you think they got it from? And, the, and if you trace it back, you'll find out that actually, yes, it still goes back to authority quite often. It still goes back up to the to the media or to politic, politics or, you know, these kind of places. But what that tells you is it is possible to entirely get around the back off and bypass those media carriers if you can find ways to get new story carriers. And that is where... The, remember I was saying earlier on that the, the, one of the most effective things that the Corbyn did was basically picking up the Bernie Sanders model of peer-to-peer. -peer. Mm. So what you were doing is you were getting people to pass messages to other people. Yeah. Now, it still yeah. takes organising and money, but it'll do no good me yapping at you lot in a podcast about housing to get to the folk that really need to change their mind in this. But this, the is, this, this is, is proving. This is that stuff again. That's the bit about the bypassing and the just reminding people like it's not actually that complicated. Stuff is in a mess, and the people who have messed it up are not going to be able to fix it because they're not going to be able to unleash their grip on the potential for the profit in all of that. So you need to bypass it, and you can bypass it because they don't know what they're doing. But you have a real stake in the game here and you will have people who do have some power step up behind you and support you. And that is movement building and that is important and 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 it is about changing the narrative around those things. Sorry, Jeff. No, I just think it's it's fascinating. But um I there's two successes I know of in, in policy terms that that uh I think are very relevant to this idea. Um one uh is the the foundation of the national deep retrofit policy in Ireland. Now, it's not on the, on the scale of ambition that you're talking about in your Green New Deal, um, uh, but it's it's an eight billion euro funded um, uh, deep retrofit pro, uh, program to retrofit uh, uh, four hundred thousand homes by 2030. Um, and and separately, I think of um, a, a policy I worked on 
to uh, in my local county to uh, get the try and get the council to make the passive house standard or equivalent a requirement, a planning condition for all new buildings in the county. And um, the, we're both the, the the retrofit policy was was based on uh, really the, the cornerstone behind that was a, a local scheme called Superhomes, uh, or a scheme run by Tipperary Energy Agency. Um, and the key to its success in terms of getting uh, cross party political support for this issue was taking uh, principal officers from government departments um, and politicians to the homes that had had these upgrades talked it wasn't a question about involving the media really at all i don't think it's it was showing these policymakers uh that this was popular it would work you know and it will be popular if you committed to continue to do this because what you're selling people will actually want it right same thing with dunleary rath down with the the the, the, the passive house policy the key to that was uh, taking, uh, I probably mentioned this on the podcast before, but taking, inviting the councillors, the county councillors, um, to visit a passive house in the county um, one cold uh, winter night and um, coming in from the freezing cold and meeting the family and talking to them and getting, and it was stuff like um, the homeowner in Isle was taking jars out of uh, of the of the, the, the cupboards uh, to show them uh, that they were at room temperature and stuff. And they, and they were like, giddy school children you know um and from that point on uh i wouldn't say it was a doddle but it was you know we we, we won over so many people um just through uh showing them the story and kind of connecting with them on a human level uh that that you know they were they were trying to to uh, we were trying to advocate for something here that would be good and that we could prove we could show in in, the, in that kind of story way uh would be good you know um so it's, it's, i, I think Nothing beats nothing beats sensory input, but at the same time, so it's great when you can do sensory input, when you can make people feel, touch, sense things, actually stand next to them and touch them. But it can be simple. So if I was going to be really hard, really cynical about how to get this to work, here's just little things. Just get enough people that when someone says, God, my energy bill, I know if it's publicly owned, I know if it's renewable. That's it. That is it. If you can do that, and if you can make 10 interventions like that in a week, because everyone's moaning about fuel, and you can do the same about house. Oh, you know, I'm heating my house. Oh, well, if, you're, if your house was properly retrofitted. Oh, well, if you're, you know, if we were public support for moving quickly to electric vehicles. You just see this over and over and over again. And, People carry it. That's the that was the experience of the Bernie Sanders campaign. People get it. People will carry that message, and when enough of it goes, so that is the how you organise the soft. The problem is you then need you need something to vote for, and this is what I keep coming back to. One of the things that bugs me about contemporary left is they've been so bad at getting their hands on levers of power. They've started to behave as if it's impossible. Now, that really rips my mitten. I get really annoyed with that. If you're going to start putting your hand up and saying, oh, there's nothing we can do, well, then, actually, I don't know. Do you know the quote? Do you know the Henry Ford quote? It's one of my favourite quotes. Henry Ford says, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. And I love that. If you genuinely think you can't do it, you probably can And if you really believe you can do it, you probably can. And it's that simple. And this is the my problem with the bloody left is it's kind of like if you said to them, oh, it's dark in here. Let, do you want to change a light bulb? Oh, can I do that? I know. Well, you know, we tried it once before and Jimmy got electrocuted. Oh, we better not touch that. Then. It's, you can't, you can't head out. Basically, we've reached the point now where I keep feeling the left charges into every battle with its white flag out front. Um, you know, the, 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 the progressive forces assume that you can't win. And I'm no really got that in me. I, again, it's madness. I should know better. I'm Scottish. Uh, I still go to sporting events with the hope that we might win it. You know, because what's the alternative? So I used to play sport. And I remember, it's very straightforward. 
you walk on every pitch like you think you're going to win and you walk off every pitch like you knew you were going to win or you felt you should have. That's what you do. That's what, that's how it works. And you do it again and again. And I know there's a very fine line between leadership and sociopathy. <laughs> I just described it. But I'm afraid that's the reality. People want to look you in the eye and see in your eyes that you think it's actually possible. And if you can't do it, you can't persuade them with your eyes. It's possible. If you don't believe that we can do it, we will not do it. So we've got to have this balance of story, material, solid work to fix it up. A bloody strategy for getting people to listen to it. And a little bit of self-respect and confidence to tell the story like it's not a wistful lullaby that you're telling your children about something that didn't happen all the time. That's that's the balance of it. In the absence of a party political system, which is functional to the point of being able to address the urgency of the issues that we're facing, what the bloody hell do we do? Like this is this is where Duncan and I are thinking. Like we're thinking more along the lines of so he and I are in the background strategizing the things we can do to create the models where we can usher the Dublin politicians into the passive house one evening and say, isn't this lovely? That is the thing that we are doing. And uh, to speak about your Green New Deal, your national retrofit policy, like I've been through that and I'm going to pinch loads of it. And I'm going to try and turn it into market-looking stuff because it's the only thing we can do. But beyond that little pockets of activity, so we are trying to create... So through our consultancy work and through the, the the practical things that we're doing for ourselves, we're trying to make a difference. I see Duncan's, he's won a bit of money to assess his village. Like all sorts of little bits of stuff like that going on. We can do... Three things for change. Three things for change. If you've not heard this, Go on. Um, enjoy. Three people that you need. You need long marchers. Long marchers enter institutions and plough their way through the custard the best they can changing things where they can, as they can. Give stone throwers. That's me. We stand outside chucking stones at the arseholes in the institutions, tell them to get their fingers out and get on with it, and you've got alternative builders. Alternative builders bugger off, don't worry too much about the institutions, and start to build the thing that the other folk are talking about. And you know what it takes? It takes absolutely all of them. You can't do it without all of them. And you can be more than one. So we do quite a lot of alternative building and I do bucket loads of stone throwing. Um, so you can do more than one, but you need them all. And so you just got to ask yourself at each point, what am I doing here? Am I marching through the institutions to get them to do what they can do? Am I building something alternative to inspire and to show others what is possible? Or am I using my power to just say, this isn't good enough and we need to do better? Um, and if you're not doing one of the three of them, you're probably not having much an impact. And that's all it's got to be. I, I'm, I'm, my, I'm talking about my world. I'm talking about my role. I'm talking about what I need to do. And I'm, we're a think tank. We don't actually build things for real, even though we're quite doish. But we don't actually build things for real. We don't actually make policy. So we've got to raise a voice and shoot at the top level and throw the stones and give out the ideas and do all those sorts of things. And I have nothing but respect for people who crawl into institutions and do the best they can because they make, in their way, they make more difference than I do. You know, I remember once I was doing a talk and I was talking about how, um, I was, I, it, was, it was basically talking about the food system and the way that pretending we can fix it with food banks is actually prolonging the problem. And somebody was running a food bank a wee bit not upset with me, quite the opposite, upset with themselves, because I got quite excited, quite passionate about this. And they said, does this mean I'm doing the wrong thing? Does this mean that I'm actually making the problem worse? I'm saying, well, I could possibly make the case that at a system level you are, but not for every single person you've fed. And do I want the people that you've fed to be hungry because it would make my job easier if they were actually dying on the street. It would. It would make my job easier if people were dying from starvation on the street. Right? Mm -hmm. Do I want that to happen? Of course I don't. Please, for the love of God, make these people's lives better any way that you can. I have respect for people who honestly do any of these things. The only people that I've got the real contempt for is the ones that 
come to do good, stay to do well. The ones that climb <laughs> into the system. That's a quote from the that's a quote from the wire, which describes everything that's bloody wrong politics. Come to do good, stay to do well. And that's the that's the only group that I have the contempt for is the ones who tell themselves, I'm doing what I can, I'm doing what I can. And you pin them down, you say, What did you do? And you say, Well, I voted with my whip every single time, but I made a speech the other day. So fuck all, you've done nothing. You're the problem. You voted with your whip to, and this literally happened with someone I know. You voted with your whip to overturn public policy, your party policy, which is to have a national energy company in Scotland. You went along with it. You kept your mouth shut. You voted, and then you made a speech about how you're disappointed. You get zero points. That's that. You score nothing for that. So, somebody who just makes a wee gain by fighting their way through all the respect in the world. It, it's yeah. necessary. And if it ever feels like you're not getting as far as you think you should, yep, I know, it's murder, in it? But if you're not doing it, if you're not doing one of these things, it doesn't change. Yeah. And that's the, if you ever wake up in the morning and think, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. It's quite worth asking the question, if I swapped with somebody else, what would they do with my life? And if they're doing a better job than you are, you need to take a look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself what's going on. Um, because if you can imagine somebody else having your life and making a better job of it than you, you've got questions to ask. Sadly, I can, but <laughs> there you go. Um, so that's that's how I do it. That's that's what I think is, what the hell should I be doing here? Or another way to look at it, and this one I particularly like, which is just... If you're in a bath or you're going out for a walk or something like that, just ask yourself, what the hell do I wish somebody would do? And then just go home and do that. I find that's quite useful as well. Every so often I lie in my bath, like, oh, Christ, not bath, but equivalent. I think to myself, oh, Christ, I wish somebody would do such and such. And then I just get up Monday morning, pick up the phone and say, right, let's do this. Because if I thought it was a good idea the other night there that someone else should do it, I kind of think I should. So that's my, that's one of my big mottos in life has always been, look around the room, if you can't work out whose responsibility it is, yours. And that's that's the, the simple answer. If there's a fire, if there's a fire and you're sitting there and anyone else is putting it out, it's your job. If somebody's bleeding out in the floor and nobody's jumped up to put some pressure on the wound, it's your job. The same thing, if your council... If your housing association is building shit houses and you're not standing up saying this is wrong, yeah. it's your problem. Yeah, uh, to totally right. Because what's really interesting, I was I was raised by a commie, so the long march is a lot of <laughs> a long march is a lot, a lot of residents with me. Um, and I think I, I was a long marcher. I was a, I was ten years in an institution where I, 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 I you know. That almost broke me. That experience of trying to change things from from that position. I'm now I'm now hopefully one of the advocates of change. But um, see, just going back to one thing, I, I couldn't agree more. I think see, in terms of the institutions we have in Scotland for government, we're not represented at local level. You go to France as a, a a mayor in France, which is political control, sometimes um, a quite considerable control within, you know, even, you know, five, you know, even a place like Lark Hall, which is halfway between me and you just now. And that's 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 something that, that, that was really interesting when you were talking about the democracy and how we're democratically represented at that level. But one of the things, whether we keep this in or, or, or take it out, Dan and I don't think the market can deliver what we need, just for the reasons you talked about there, basically it's going to take a 20% cut in terms of what we're going to pay for it. We, we think, having been a long marcher, the council can't do that. It is simply not set up to do the things that we need to do. And I, I wonder, just going back to the point there about a national energy company, whether the structures are in place. Well, I don't think the structures are in place just now to deliver some of the, the types of work we need. I think we need to look at new structures and hybrid structures that protect us from the worst excesses of the market, but accept the fact that elements of the market will need to deliver that in a way that's more socially responsible. They need to I'm break not, ground. The market will need to I'm not anti-private sector here. I just think everyone's got the right role. I don't want nationalised insulation manufacture. That'll just go wrong. Totally. I want, We're the same. I want yeah. a, a thriving group of private Scottish businesses 
um, working with um, another group of private Scottish land businesses, one of them growing hemp or, or willow coppicing or any of that stuff, and one of them producing, you know, using that to manufacture the insulation products that are necessary to do the kind of work that we're going to do. But I don't think it makes sense to then have a patchwork of poorly regulated private installers. It's not the, it's not the efficient way to do it. But plus, I'd like to point out that we don't seem to have excess joiners. But you know, we're going to have to trade in people to have the size of the capacity is one of the things that we haven't talked about. But when we did the modelling, so we did all the price modelling, we also did the workforce modelling. And um, you need 12,000 tradesmen, tradespeople. You need 12,000 trades or semi-skilled trades to even get started on this. You need to double that quite soon um, if you're going to get through it in 25 years. And the private sector is not well equipped for this. And I mean, you know the stories, you've heard them a thousand times. I had a, it was a very nice guy, but the guy came out and says, we'll do you a, a air source heat pump for, and, and you'll get three quarters of it paid for. And I'm looking, I'm thinking, right, well, here's a couple of things. How come is it that the maximum grant is 7,500 quid and you've just priced my system at precisely, it's, it's got to be, that, that, that can only be three quarters of the funding. And you've, Precise, you've priced it at precisely the level where that's the the amount. So what I'm saying is I know perfectly well that you've just priced this job according to the subsidy, not according to what's actually costing you, because if you reduce the cost of the job, I lose the subsidy, you lose the income. I, it, you're not you're not giving me the system I need. My, my house doesn't suit air source heat pump. It doesn't make sense for our house because of the nature of it. Um, and I was sitting there thinking, you're I understand it's a business model. You're grant hoovering. You're, you're you're grant hoovering on my behalf in some ways, but it's a ludicrous way to do it. So just we we built this house. We were off grid for a while because it's a long story. Don't it's, off gridness is shit. It's really bad. I mean, that off the electricity grid for. So we put in one heating system for that, and then the bloody thing blew up with a generator and it blew up. So we had to eventually just bite the bullet and get a grid connection, which cost a bit, but it massively better thing. So then we had to put another heating system in, but we need money left. So at this point, it was just an oil-fired boiler. I'm in rural Scotland, so we no means of any description. And then somebody phones me up and says, how old's your boiler? And I says, five years. I says, well, just tell me it's six years or I'll get you another one. I says, how do you mean? He says, well, you'll qualify for an inefficient boiler if it's more than six years old. I says, what's this going to cost me? Nothing at all. I says, well, what are you doing? He says, well, let's take your old boiler out and put this one in. I says, well, what's the rating? 17 kilowatts. But well, that's the same boiler. Aye. It's going to run on the same kerosene. Aye. He says, it's a better boiler because the one that you've got is quite cheap because you bought it cheap. Like, oh, fucking, I suppose, take my boiler out, put an identical boiler in because it's a bit better. I'm now taking that out and I'm probably going to put a biomass in because there's grants for biomass now. Now, I've fired through four heating systems not more than a decade because I'm chasing private sector incentivized models and it is mental. If somebody came and audited this coherently, they would say, wait a minute here, you wasted 10 grand in the first one then about three grand in the second one, and then we wasted five grand in the third one, and then the fourth one, we're going to be given interest-free loans of about 4,000 and a loan of... Actually, I'm going to end up here with two loans because I'm probably going to go for solar thermal and biomass, which means I get three grand for the solar thermal, and I get seven and a half grand for the biomass, and I get interest-free loans for the bulk of the rest of it, um, leaving me only a couple of grand, which I'm going to have to find from somewhere. Um, I haven't really got it, but but <laughs> I'm looking and saying I need to do this anyway because God knows whether these grants will be here in the future and I don't want to be stuck in kerosene for the rest of my life. That's nuts. If you were sitting down and describing that system, you'd assume it was Jonathan Swift that had come up with it or, or Amanda Anucci. It's farcical. It doesn't make any sense. So let's just be clear. I'm not state communist. Of course we need the private sector to deliver parts of this, but we definitely don't need them to deliver other parts of this. So let me just go back to sewers 
I don't think that we should be building diggers in Scotland. I think we should be buying them from JCB because they seem to be quite good at it. I'm not convinced that we should be building, making sewer pipes. I'm fairly sure somebody's got that cracked, but I'm absolutely certain we should be digging the holes and putting them in because that's the efficient way to do it. And what's the logic of not doing it like that? Because we want to give 10% or 15% additional profit to a corporation for doing it for us. I mean, that make any sense, does it? it? We're not. I mean, that might make sense if it was saving us some time or something. It's not saving us anything. So let's be realistic. It does no good here to be daft and say, we're not working with the private sector. We're not working with big interests. We're not what you're a corporation with. That's just silly talk. But let's be serious and draw a boundary around this far makes perfect sense. And that makes no sense whatsoever, none whatsoever. So let's not do it. And that's, that's nothing about this is particularly complicated. It's all fairly straightforward. And here's the giant secret. You all know this because you all work with them. But see, if you talk to these contractors privately, I don't know if they're pals that are contractors. They'll tell you it's a scam. They'll tell you that they wouldn't have their house done this way. I've literally had folks saying, of course, I wouldn't do this in my own house. What are you doing it in my house for? Well, you know, government's decided that's where the grant's going. Well, don't. Don't do it. It doesn't make any sense. They know it. Everybody knows it. And yet, it manages, it, it gives them a system where they can just keep skimming money out of the public purse into private profits and they don't feel I mean I genuinely I promise this I know someone who's a site manager of PFI projects and he's quite open with me how utterly wasteful it is you know over order the plasterboard by 30% because it, it, you know that only costs you 20,000 pounds and the late fees are higher so if you're on the plasterboard I mean, literally, they bought they order thirty percent more than they need because it's cheaper to chuck that in the bin than have discover that your three sheets of plasterboard short, and then you get a late delivery fine. Yeah. It doesn't make sense, and he tells me he says this is nuts. He, he used to bring me when we we're building. He used to bring me all bits of building equipment that he'd over ordered. He says it's fucking nuts. It doesn't make any sense, really. But, but the whole go, that's how it works. The whole systems we were talking about this with Peter Rickaby last week that. Overconsumption is the, the, the name of the game. That is what promotes GDP. I can't remember who was talking about it on a podcast I was listening to the other week. Car crashes, brilliant for GDP. You know, you've got to pay for the ambulance, the hospital, the new car, the tyres, the towing. Fabulous. I mean... Well, the, classic, the classic example is cancer is brilliant for GDP. Ah. Cancer, is, cancer is a fucking GDP um, genius. It's so expensive, it costs so many social problems. Cancer creates jobs. Cancer sells drugs. Cancer keeps hospital buildings constantly expanding. Cancer's brilliant for GDP. They should have a political party. <laughs> yeah. Incidentally, if you're interested in this, I remember I said there's um, we, we organised the, the work into 10 sections in the Common Home Plan. Well, there's two which are particularly... There's two which are particularly close to me, close to my heart. One of them is resources. And we've done a model. I, 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 I keep forgetting that we're looking at each other in video. I keep forgetting that nobody else is. In it, we created a diagram of loops to explain what a circular economy actually is. And the simple message that all forms of recycling are, a mess, are telling you your circular economy is not working. Recycling is a failure. That's what you do if you can't do anything else. But if you're recycling, you've got something wrong on the general, on the in general. But it was when I started to do the work in the last section, which is just called us. The last section is called us. And it's about humans and how we live. And that bit is the bit when I started to say, this is really the story here, which is all of this. All of this is because somebody somewhere decided, we know who, but um, man was a genius, but Edward Bernays just decided that he better persuade everybody mm. that happiness and shopping are the same thing. Yeah. That's really yeah. what we got. 
Now, here's the here's my other number one slogan, which is happy people don't shop. Got to understand that, right? If happy people shop, they wouldn't bother with advertising. So what do they do? They make you miserable. And if you think I'm kidding, take a shot at it. Here's a wee, a wee game to play. Sit in front of a commercial TV channel with adverts over the course of a night. Don't think about it too much. Get yourself a notepad and a pencil, right? Sit down, and after each advert, just scribble down what you're supposed to have taken from that. Do that for the whole night. And then have a look at it. And then every night it will say, your hair's a disgrace, your car's embarrassing, your house is crap, your girlfriend's ugly, your clothes are old and rubbish, your food isn't cool, you're not cool. We can fix all of this if you give us all of your money. And then imagine a future in which we reverse that and we just did anti-advertising. And every so often the television programme would come to a wee halt and a calm, reassuring voice would say, your hair looks good, your girlfriend's nice, your house is fine, your car's working, no bother. Away you outside and enjoy yourself. And that is the big, big winner in all of this for me. The real big winner in all of this is... Uh, and our deconsumerization expert describes it like this. We've won when two people come home at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon. One of them spent a day at a spa with our pals, relaxed, refreshed, feeling good, maybe going to go and do something at night, exuding health. And the other one gets out at the back of a car, laden down with five bags for a shopping mall. And everybody thinks, oh, the poor soul. That poor soul. How bad must his day have been they had to go and spend it in a shopping mall? That is when we crack this. Shopping is something they have to make you miserable to do. That's what they do. They make you miserable. Happy people don't shop. If we could be happy people, we'd be out drinking and dancing, watching shows, spending time with each other, relaxing, digging in the garden, sewing, learning the language, all this stuff that we perfectly well know that when we do it, we love it. It's amazing. It sticks with us. It stays with us. Nobody ever remembered the one last Albert go because I've got something on to do now. But here's what we think. It's a wonderful, wonderful book, Chris. If you haven't ever come across it, it's a shame. It's called Tales from the Mall by Ewan Morrison. And it's a really interesting book, which is a series of short stories and a series of essays and a series of um, historical grabs. And in it, he describes, uh, uh, I think it was a study, I think it was done by Harvard. And it was with a woman, it was, it was to work out what's the ideal shopping experience. What's the, how would you get people to have a shop? So you think the ideal shopping experience is easy, walk in, grab, make it really easy for people to shop. And this Harvard study suggested that's probably a mistake. Here's what this woman, this was her story. She saw a pair of shoes, far too expensive for her, couldn't justify it, ludicrously uncomfortable looking, but they were so cool. But she says, no, I'm not doing that. And then nine months later, she's passed the shop and she looks at the window and they're on sale, half price, these shoes. Right, see, at half price, the, the question the interviewers were asking, what was your best ever purchase? And she says, half price, I still couldn't justify it. I, I, was, I didn't have any use for them. I didn't know what they were for. They said, but my God, suddenly these were half price. This was within my... This was in my realm within my reach. But she says, I'm a good, conscious person. I'm not going to buy these. I'll wait and see what happens. I'll just give it up. So she goes in, she passes it the next day and she still doesn't buy. And she passes it the next day and she eventually says to herself, you know something? I think these are destined for me, these shoes. I think they're for me. And she wanders into the shop. And just at this woman, another woman takes the shoes, tries them on, starts making her way to the counter. And the interviewer says, oh, and how do you feel about that? She goes, fucking furious. I chased her and I screamed at her. I said, those are my fucking shoes. I've had my eye on those fucking shoes for five days now. I've been walking past this. I wanted them nine months ago. Give me those bloody shoes. Another woman was so shocked. She hands her over the shoes. It was only a rash purchase. There you go. She gave her the shoes. She went up, she bought the shoes and she got them home. And she says, that's it. That was my most amazing purchase ever. And the interviewer says, and how are you getting on with the shoes? She goes, oh, I don't know if I wore them. <laughs> Genuinely, so I don't know if I wore them. 
And what did that tell us? It was never to do with the shoes. It's all to do with human accomplishment. It's all to do with human achievement. It's all about believing that you've overcome something, you've gained something, you've done something more. And you know the difference? She put that much bloody effort into learning Spanish. It would just stayed with her. And she'd have had it. She'd put that much effort into cooking dinner for friends. She'd have the memories. And instead, she's got a pair of expensive shoes that she's got nothing to do with, nothing to wear, in a world in which her success was prizing something she didn't really need, barely wanted, out of a corporation that was trying to sell it out of the hands of another woman who might actually have worn those shoes. And that is what's wrong. We've got to understand that all of this stuff is fueling behaviours that make us miserable, genuinely miserable. It all comes down to demand reduction. Demand reduction. Or every time. That's why we hit upon that. Uh, like, it's invite the me back and I'll, and invite me back and I'll tell you about I've cracked post-capitalism really hub. Um, ah. as, soon as, you stop, as soon as you stop owning things, it actually all suddenly makes perfect sense. Everything oh, makes man. perfect sense as soon yeah. as you stop owning things. Cool. Right, you get away. You've got to go. Um, it's been a proper pleasure having you yeah. on. Thank you so much. The other guys it have really dropped We've had I a, started... I started the evening not feeling the best. I had a virus last week and I'm not completely over it. I'm all buzzing now, so I'm going to go and get a, go and get the rest of the house cleaned up. Yeah, and that might be your 11th thing to add to the plan. The the, the virus. We've, you've got your resources, all that all that tackle. The virus appears to be the bit that we missed out. And it's the next one we're reluctant to acknowledge. Anyway. Ah, check, check, check section six, food. Get your food system right. The virus needs to go there you go. Right. Brilliant. Thank you so much. We'll have you back again. We'll have, to, we'll have to have a chat on another matter offline as well, I think. But uh, anytime. Oh, yeah, brilliant. Cheers. All right. Thanks for being bye, bye. Breakfast drink for me the more that. All right. Hope you enjoyed that. One last thing. Join the AECB, AECB.net. Join ACAN, architectcan.org. If you need any help with your brand messaging comms your website give alex and i a shout at everything is user finally advertise and or subscribe to passive as plus you find the website passive as plus.ie spot the english way not the german way and passiveasplus.co.uk. they're broadly the same product it's just they're pandered to the various markets um yeah keep checking the podcast but well, like and subscribe as well that'd be really helpful yeah we'll be speaking to you again soon Cheers. Bye.